0: Hey, it's Mike. I have a quick request before we get into this episode. Podchaser, the podcast industry's leading database, is currently exchanging donations to Meals on Wheels for reviews on their webpage for podcasts that you listen to. So I'd like to ask for a quick favor from you. If you could leave us a review there, and I'll drop the link in the show notes, that would be greatly appreciated. For each review you leave on an episode or on a podcast, Podchaser will donate 25 cents. Now that can really add up with just a spare minute from everyone listening. Okay. That's it. Let's get into the episode. All right. Um, my name is Jim Shupak. And I, first, I want
1: to thank you, uh, Michael, for having me on the show Silent Journeys. I really appreciate this opportunity to uh, speak on on really what, I mean, is my story, but it's the story of, unfortunately, of, of millions of people and even billions of people when you uh, consider the, uh, the entire world. But um, my story began, I would say it was in February of 2001, um, so about 20 years ago, and two months ago, if you will, to be more specific, where I had kind of felt definitely not myself. For those people who know me, they know I'm very upbeat. I'm very uh, happy, positive. I love to laugh. I uh, just, I, I appreciate life. I love life itself it's, and everything life, and you know, provides us and, and just relationships, friendships, um, what have you. But about 20 years ago, um, it, it had felt like. Someone had pushed out who that who I just described and basically replaced that person with someone who was sullen, someone who was just in a, a very dark place, someone who, for example, every second took a minute, every minute seemed to take an hour, every hour seemed to take a day, every day seemed like it took a week, like it was the never-ending day, every single day, and I literally, lit, like, I hope to get to the nighttime so that I could just sleep and there were times I, I just didn't want to wake up I was like I wanted to permanently sleep and what it was like there was times where um, I was very angry for no reason like if someone or if someone might look at me the wrong way I, what the heck's wrong with you what are you looking at you know like you know they're, they're not you know there's nothing there um, that I needed to really concern myself with or I might just get angry and blow up for no reason. Um, I would get anxious and at this, cause it's anxiety as well, where maybe someone looked at me the wrong way and I blew up them. And then all of a sudden what might happen is in my mind, I might think, well, that person hates me and I would avoid that person. And then I say, well, he's friends or she's friends with this person. So now they're not going to like me because they're going to talk behind my back. And then before I know it, I've made this huge mountain out of a molehill and I'm living like this every single day. Like I had thoughts of suicide, I had thoughts of like crashing my car into a tree. I you know it just that's not like me. Now, remember this is 20 years ago and I'm in a f- fantastic place fortunately right now, but at that point in time, I wasn't. Um, you know, I just very depressed, very down. I had no self-esteem. I mean, like I had no purpose in life. Nothing. I did not enjoy any activities really. Um, barely anything that I like just I wanted to just permanently sleep um I'm a Catholic, and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and i pray- and I mean I'm telling you it was a constant prayer every day every day it was just God take me or make me better. I don't care what you decide i'm not gonna I'm not going to I'm not gonna do it if you will as far as suicide is concerned, but I strongly felt like and I think that upbringing for me really helped to save my life because it was just it kind of kept me on a certain path. Um, and I just remember talking to God and saying, "Look, one or the other. You you make the choice. I don't care which it is." And um, lo and behold, then I mean, honestly, Michael, one day I had well, it, an experience that completely changed my life. And again, you have to remember, I'm Catholic. I never used any drugs, any illegal drugs, prescription drugs, of course, for you know um, asthma, for I have a seizure condition, which I'm going to talk about as well. Um, that came beforehand things like that. But um, I, when I say it was my darkest day, it was my darkest day. And that night, I, I had what would be considered an out-of-body experience where, again, being Catholic, I saw the Holy Family. That's Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Literally, st- I remember being out of my body, staring at them. And there was no word said, but it was just like this thing communicated to me that you're going to be all right. Things are going to be fine. But no, no words were communicated. But I knew that just them being there, and when I woke up, that like basically almost a minute too later—I don't remember how long the experience was—I knew I had the fear of God because my heart was beating out of my chest. I mean, I'm sure my heart rate would have been over 200, if not higher. I don't know what what what's possible, but that's where I was at. And I I remember like going into bed, every stuffed animal I must have had (laughs) accrued from the time I was a youth. I think I put in the bed with me, and I slept with that night because I was just like. Oh my gosh, what just happened there? And I swear to you, like the next day, a friend of mine who himself had depression had told me, you know, Hey Jim, are you okay? Because you haven't been acting yourself recently. Um, and I'm just a little bit worried about you. And I said, you know what? I'm not okay. There's something wrong. Like I'm having thoughts of suicide. I'm having, like, I'm just, I get angered quickly. I don't want to, I don't want to wake up. I want to sleep. I won't, don't want to get wake up. I have no like. There's no purpose in life for me anymore. And he said to me, you know, I remember him telling me. And he has unfortunately passed away of a heart attack years ago. Wendell Fredericks is his name. God bless him. Um, he told me. He said, uh, you know, Jim, it sounds like you have what I have, clinical depression. He said, why don't you look it up? Because it sounds like you have a lot of the symptoms. And I said, all right, I, I'll do that. And I, you know, I wanted an answer because. I'm living inside my own head, and this is for 100 days now, Michael, um, from February through, we're talking about, let me see, yeah, until May, early May it was. Um, and I remember looking it up, and I had every single symptom, and I had never been so happy in those last 100 days because I was so scared out of my mind of what was going on in my own brain. And after, those, like, after that time, I was like, wait, this can't be right. And I looked up another one for another website for the symptoms had the same ones. I looked up another website for the symptoms. They had the same one. I looked up another website. I mean, it was like, I almost wanted to tell myself, this can't be real, that how I feel has a name. And it was, and I was like, I like the weight of the world that was on my shoulders, just all of a sudden, some of it came off. And I was like, wow, okay, this is what I have, but I need to get diagnosed And I'm not gonna lie, asking for help was was scary for me. It was, um, because of the stigma that exists with mental health. Um, you know, it was a scary place for me at that point. And and far scarier was the hundred days leading up to that because I didn't know where do I go for help for this. I mean, if I go to the hospital and say I think I'm going out of my mind, what are they gonna do? Like, I don't know. I didn't. I was scared of what came next. I think. And the same thing goes with my doctor. I, I um. I used to be youth leader at my church and she, her kids were part of my youth group and I emailed her privately and I said, you know, Hey, can you um, see me at the, uh, at the university? Because she was also a, um, one of the staff, um, doctors at the university, uh, East Strasbourg university, where I actually I did my undergrad and my master's degrees. Um, so I went over there and she saw me cause I didn't want to go to see her in her office because I was afraid of just the whole stigma thing, the anxiety, the depression was kind of like, oh, my gosh, he has depression. He has anxiety. What, you know, there's something wrong with him. If You're going to the doctor, there's obviously something wrong with you. But I, I couldn't get that through my head that it's OK to have depression because one fourth of all people are going to have a mental health challenge in their entire life. But that being said, so I went to see her at the university and I, I remember saying, Dr. Volani. I have clinical depression, but I need you to diagnose me. I printed out like 40 different papers of the symptoms from a bunch of different websites. And I was like, I have this, 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 like every single one. I have it. I have it. And she, and I could still remember it, like telling her, like she's, she said, why do you think you have it? And I said, well, Dr. Vani, like, I feel like somebody pushed, you know, that calm, caring, positive, upbeat person that I was. Out of my body and replaced it with someone who, like I had said before, Michael was suicidal. Who just lived in his own brain. Like every day seemed like forever. Like like a month almost. Like a week. Like just forever. That I I wanted to sleep and never wake up. That I would get like angered at the littlest things. That I would cry like for no reason. There was no. But I would cry. I felt like crying for absolutely no reason. It's okay to cry. But like there's there was no reason for my crying. Um, you know, like I had no interest in anything in life, but I, re- you know, and, and she said to me, you know, uh, first of all, she said, Jim, I'm proud of you for coming in because I know it's not easy for you to come in. And I, and it wasn't, it was not easy to set the appointment up. It was not easy for me to, to talk to, you know, like to just kind of say like, yes, I need help. And I, especially because of the stigma of, of um, depression, anxiety, but she said to me something I'll never forget. And she said, well, Jim, I want you to know you're not the first person that I have ever diagnosed with clinical depression, and you most certainly will not be the last. And and that made me feel a lot better. Not that I'm happy that other people are suffering with this, but that I wasn't alone, that there were other people who did have this particular, who had this journey for lack of a better word, or like your show's called The Silent Journey. That's really what it was. Um, and as I go on, we had created a plan it was a plan of recovery really a plan of overcoming and part of that plan was because there were times i couldn't get out of bed i mean just for me to get out of bed was a huge accomplishment huge accomplishment and she said well i'm gonna you know with your permission i'm gonna give you an antidepressant and we started on it and and it really helped it helped a lot um this particular one and i know for everyone you have to be if you are not everyone is, is in favor, and I and I understand that. This is everyone's personal choice. For me, it's a choice I needed to take that I said yes. And uh, what happened was we, um, we took this one, and it worked. And, you know, two weeks, three weeks, two to three weeks, it gets in your bloodstream, and that's really when you have a feeling of, and it worked. Um, but she also said, I'm going to strongly suggest you go to talk therapy because taking medicine is only half the battle there's obviously things that could be on your mind that you don't even realize it, that you need to get out to someone. So I did go to talk therapy for about three or four months and it was weekly, bi-weekly. The woman was fantastic. And the same thing goes with counseling, similar to the medicine. You may not gel with certain uh, counselors, you know, talk therapists. I did, I was very blessed. I was very fortunate to gel with the first one and it worked out for three to four months she came to a point where she's like, Jim, you're doing really well. I don't think you need to come back. I said, she said, you're, my door's always open to you. Um, but as long as you're okay with it, I think you're fine. You know? And I, and I kind of felt the same way toward the end, maybe the last, maybe two or three visits. I was kind of like, I think I'm okay now. I was like, I, I think I'm in a good spot, but I can recall being in the office. I can't even remember over what crying in her office for whatever reason. But after I did, I felt better. It was just like very, for lack of a better word, very therapeutic. Um, from that point on, I have to kind of go back a little bit. And during those 100 days, I'm going to give a little props to um, my our golden retriever. He's passed away in force about 10 years ago named Sonny. Because when I was really going through my 100 days of hell, like I like to call it, um, he if, you're, if you have a dog, you have a cat, you know that they're very in tuned with your feelings. Um, just like I have one laying on my lap right now. He seems to be very in tune with my feelings, all of my pets do, dogs, cats. And what Sonny would do is he would put his his nose almost right up to mine because I would be laying on a sofa all day, no interest in doing anything. And he w- it was almost like this understanding where he would come up to me and say, look, I need you to take me for a walk. But it wasn't really that it was really more like I need you to I need to take you for a walk, but I need you to put the leash on me so that I can do it. And we had this understand and I would do it. And, you know, he kind of knew. And we did that walk around the block a couple times, one time, two times, times, four times. Before he knew it, I felt pretty good. I was like, this is great. I feel pretty good taking walks and being with Sonny, being with my pup, you know. Um, But at the same time, then I was like, I want to go for a longer walk. It wound up being a mile. And then after that mile, I said, I want to try to like maybe jog a little bit, like a slow walk, pardon me, a slow run or a, or a, a slow uh, slow run or fast walk. And I did. And at that point, it was really, I had, had an endorphin high, like unlike, unlike ever before. It was like my own body creating a, a happy drug because really that's what it is. And at the end, I said, I want to keep, I want to keep doing this. And I wound up doing two miles, wound up doing three miles. And then I trained for a 5K, which was cool. I liked it a lot. The running community is amazing, amazing. And in my case, it's more like walking, but they're still part of the runner's community. And what I'm about to tell you is more of a do as I say, not as I do. Um, I did, I trained for a 5K. And at that point in time, I started to train for a marathon, which is uh, 26 miles. So I went from a three-mile to a 26-mile. Again, this is not the proper way to do it. You should go 5K, 10K, um, uh, pardon me, half marathon, full marathon. But I think that was just me telling the depression that I control you. You don't control me. And I did train for the marathon. I finished Steamtown Marathon, which is up in Scranton, Pennsylvania. If you're familiar with the television show, The Office, that's exactly where it is. Um, If you're not familiar with the show, it's still where it is. It's in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And um, I finished that, and after a while, I after the pain went away of the lactic acid after the first marathon, I was like, I want to do another one. Like, And then it dawned on me the one time I was getting interviewed um, on TV station locally that I wanted to do 100 marathons to get back the 100 days I lost to depression. Obviously, symbolically, I can't get them back for sure, you know, figuratively, but symbolically, I can Um because I remember telling the uh, the journalist, I said I'd rather do a tw- hundred marathons in a row than have to go through depression again. And at that point, it kind of dawned on me. Well, why not do a hundred marathons? So I that is my 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 goal, my end goal. Um, so I've I've completed, thank God, you know, God willing, I finished 21 marathons. So all 26 miles, every marathon's 26.2 miles or 42 kilometers. And um, in 2014, I finished three marathons in three months. In 2016, I did uh, four marathons in four months, and that's that's the most I've done as far as consecutive over months. I mean, I have you know my wife to thank, who's like the number one marathon supporter, who takes goes all over God's green earth. My pups, who who come with me, um, you know, which it's it's cool. And and I have to say as well, like as I run, I have like a run over depression shirt because that's part of the organization that that I kind of helped to found which is just kind of putting a face on the name of mental health like people who are going through their own challenges and I have some wonderful friends who've had their own journeys in mental health where they're, they've they been very open with sharing them and and helping with the social media aspect of it so they've been I mean fantastic in doing that as well and so me having that support like I've obviously you know my wife's being supportive but having others like um my friend, Ann, who who does our some of the social media. I have a friend, Kelly, um, other people who have done stuff, you know, my brother. And and one thing I've noticed is that the hundred, like my goal is a hundred days, Michael, or a hundred a hundred marathons. I apologize. But I saw that more as a silo. And what I mean by silo is that's my goal. But what I found out is that silo has been kind of, destroyed but in a good way and it's become so much bigger than a simple silo because I've had people come up to me and say you know what because you talked about your battle with depression you know I have a loved one who basically had a plan to to die by suicide and they when they heard how you felt they said oh my gosh that is exactly how I feel and they were able to put a, a name on their on their depression and get help and those people you know are the one i'm talking about one is married he has children i have another um friend who i did the same thing and he had felt maybe not as intense of a depression but he didn't feel himself he he it was definitely a depression of some sort maybe he called it more of a melancholy but um it was a milder depression and he started talking to his dad and they opened up a conversation and he started going to therapy um and he started to also like take medicine, but I think he's off of it now I've had other uh people who maybe I haven't talked to them in years but i'm I'm very open about my you know my battle and um my bout, whatever you want to call it but um I've posted on you know on uh, Facebook that I was on a show I've been blessed to be on a number of different podcasts now talking about mental health, and people will co- will private message me saying, you know hey um you know my so and so, he's talking about suicide, and he hasn't done that before. And I'm growing really nervous. Like, can you any suggestions? So it's almost like I've I've been blessed to be that person who, if someone needs help, at least is willing to reach out. And I, I'm extending that all all branch to them. And and I've you know when I see those successes, for lack of a better word. Um, where people can live their a more full life, a more authentic life, more life that they're supposed to live, that just helps to motivate me to keep doing what I'm doing so that's that's the big thing for me, at least you know right now um you know, I will say like for example, um long and short bit one one thing that's helped me, and going back to when I was youth leader, is I was blessed because I do speak Spanish fluently. Is we've gone on service trips to the country of El Salvador, uh, Nicaragua, um, Mexico, and Honduras, and all of them are Spanish-speaking. So I would go, and I would basically be the translator for the group because pretty much most of the group was only English-speaking or very basic Spanish. And one thing I, one experience I'll, I had I'll, I'll never forget was being in Nicaragua, on Lake Nicaragua. I met an individual. I his name was Juan. And he had a child. He was about the same age as me at the point in time. I was going for my master's degree. And, you know, we we're just making conversation. And I remember talking to him and I said, you know, so tell me about yourself. Um, What do you, um, you know, do you go to school? What do you do for a job? You know, and I, I just remember him saying, well, I don't, I don't go to school. I said, oh, I said, well, where did you go to high school? Like, did you go to, you know, around here? He said, no, no, I didn't go to school. I said, what do you mean you didn't go to school? Like, where did you go to elementary school or middle school, and then he just basically flat out said, "No, I never set foot in a classroom I had you know when I was four or five years old, my parents couldn't provide you know enough for me, so for my family you know the family his siblings, so I had to go out and like help pick coffee or help pick whatever um so to survive and it just boggled my mind because that's a real problem like that like that that kind of that gave me perspective now mental health is a real problem too, but what I'm saying is I liken things into third world problems and first world problems and and that, that those those experience and i i I could go on and on and on and on and on and on and on about those perspectives that that i've experiences I've had, but that's a big one um just because here I am thinking to myself like you know if we lose electricity, all right well i I have a candle, maybe I just sit in silence, but you know what I have a roof over my head, I have my dogs, I have my wife i have you know we have food that we can eat. Well, some of the people that I met during these trips, you know, they don't have any of that, nor will they ever have the opportunity to know where their next meal is coming from. You know, even a, a, I remember in a school in, in the same, same trip, I believe it was Nicaragua. I saw a kid who had um, food coming out of his uh, his shirt like it was a pocket. And a, and I I remember I kind of like, you know, kind of did a double take and I said, you know, like, why? Hey, I'm just curious. Like, why do you have the food in your shirt? Why didn't you eat it for lunch? And he said, well, I'm taking it home for my family because, see, when I go to school, they give me lunch here, at, but they don't get food at home. We don't have food. So I always take some of my lunch and I bring it home for them. And it's like these perspective things are like, um, like just boggles my mind, you know, because I, I can't wrap my head around it. But that's kind of given me perspective as far as living life I'm calling, it, calling it post-depressive, you know, post of, of my hundred days of hell, put it that way, where I kind of look at things now as, is this a first world problem or is this a third world problem? Is this something that is a life or death thing? Or is this something that really I need to not worry about because it's not worth my time? Um, and I won't lie, there's times I do get caught up in it, but then I I, I take that step back and I realize I need to just say, okay, this is not a third world problem. This is a major first world problem and I need to just relax and not worry about it. You know, and, and, and I will do that. Um, you know, and, and, you know, and uh, Going back to these trips, Michael, which I have to say were, I believe everyone should go on a service trip to a, a third or fourth, fourth world country, or there's even a third or fourth world in the United States. I've been to Appalachia in West Virginia, incredibly poor. I've been to Camden in, in New Jersey, across from the bridge from Philadelphia, Incredibly poor to work with people who were alcohol, like uh, homeless because of uh, drug or alcohol um, addiction. Um, you know people in West Virginia who similar situations. So I really think you know that gives you perspective on what is truly important. But um, going back to El Salvador, uh, one of my heroes is a is a saint named Senior Monsignor Oscar Romero, um, patron saint of El Salvador. He actually during the 70s he um spoke on behalf of the poor the financially poor i mean these are the poor and destitute who had nothing and um he unfortunately was murdered for speaking out on on their behalf um in 1980 it was march of 1980 march 21st 22nd 20th of 1980 and um i was able to go to the church and basically stand in the same location where he was killed i was able to see the clothing that he wore i still saw the bullet stain I was able to go to the apartment where he lived. I was able to see his tomb. And he was known as, the reason I, I mentioned this is he's known as the voice for the voiceless financially. You know, the, like really the, the and when I mean financially, I'm not talking about someone who, you know, is earning even 850 an hour. I'm talking about someone who never has a job, never went to school and never will go to school because they were never given that opportunity. Um, So it's kind of like that, where, you know, we have a welfare system in the United States. El Salvador does not have that. A lot of the third world doesn't have it. So they can't say, well, here's money to go on welfare temporarily till you get back on your feet. They don't have that. That's not a possibility. That's not an option. Um, So you can see why so many people are looking to move to the first world to get out of that situation. That being said, though, I kind of use um, Oscar Romero as like a inspiration for me where I liken myself as maybe the voice for the voiceless of those suffering from mental illness, from mental health challenges. Also, you know, we have two, three rescue pets at home, um, two dogs and a cat who are rescues. And also like myself to be the voice for the voiceless for the rescue pets, because really the only thing dog wrong with a rescue cat or dog is that they've been let down by a human. So it's like, they need a voice and why not help be that voice? Because if you do have a pet, you know that people out there, like they create such love for you, such unconditional love. Like my goal is to be the person that my dogs think that I am. That's my goal in life (laughs) because it's just, you know, you get home and they're so happy to see you. And it's like, oh my gosh, like whatever cares you have just went away, you know, for the most part. But like that, that's kind of like most of the story there, Michael. I do want to start with one thing, too, before I forget. Um, When I was 13, and this is going back to the depression, I apologize, this is kind of a little bit, you know, skewy here, but just please bear with me because this is very important. Um, When I was 13, I had um, a seizure, Uh, you know, the grand mal seizure, the whole convulsing thing, in fact, it should have killed me. Um, I was turning blue, my brother found me convulsing in the living room. Uh, he told my dad, and my dad picked me up. I don't remember any of this. All I remember is waking up on my bed. And um, that being said, there's no history of um, of any seizures, epilepsy in my family. At least none that I'm aware of. Well, that's I that was when I was 13. Now, talking to my neurologist, who I've gotten to know pretty well over the years, because I've gone to see him, um, you know, fairly regularly when I was monitoring um, the blood. Uh, pardon me, the depicote level in my blood, what have you. I asked him, I said, you know, I said to to him, do you think that it could have been the um, the epilepsy that, because there's already chemical imbalance that's preexisting, that may have played a role? And, and, and we did a little sleuthing, if you will, like, you know, and, and he said, yes, it could have been part of that. He said, well, it's February. That's a very dull month. Like, it's a very depressing month in Pennsylvania, Eastern Pennsylvania, where I'm from, very depressing month. And at that point in time, I was youth leader, but I was I was getting um, it was kind of stale. I was getting burned out with the job. So it was like those three things coming together situationally could have created that just enough to kind of put me over the edge, for lack of a better word. You know, and, you know, that being said, so going from there where, you know, I I couldn't take uh, two steps out of bed, um, you know, to doing 21 marathons and now you know i'm very humbled to say in september of t- uh, last year i completed my doctorate in educational leadership uh from drexel university in, in philadelphia and, and uh they were named uh the top program in uh, educational leadership in 2019 so it's it's just when when you really believe in yourself and you surround yourself with good people i mean for me it was i i'm again i'm catholic and i have a very faith based life and i have good people that surround me like I, one of my mottos is the, to, to um that you're the average of the five people you surround yourself the most, and and at sometimes it might just be one person that you need to believe in you, um, you can do some cool things like you know, and I and I say that very humbly because, you know, if it were up to me, I don't know if I would still be here, but I am, and this is my my goal, this is my message, this is what I aspire to do, you know, so you you're only here, you know, one time to to make a difference and. You want to do the most with it, so that that's kind of where I'm at. So it's I'm excited to say, like you know, having finished the marathons, and and hopefully in 2022 and in the fall, I would like to do another one and and just continue from there because the four years I was doing my doctoral studies, it's just way too much. You know, I I couldn't train for much of anything. So you know, we did a couple half marathons, my wife and I, but it was more like a slower thing. But that's that's pretty much it. Like just you know, if I can give anyone any advice um, is just believe in yourself, but at the same time, surround yourself with good people. And if, and if you're that person who someone's reaching out to you um, who has depression, just be there. You don't need to fix them. They don't want to be fixed. They don't want to hear what your, what your suggestions are, because I know someone would have said when I was at my worst, well, you need to do this, 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 and oh my gosh, I, I won't say Right now, Michael, what I probably would have told the person because it's not nice. We'll just leave it at that. But I will say they just need someone to be there. They just need someone to basically know that you have their back. They just need someone who, you know, maybe one day that person will say, hey, you know what, I'm of going to go to the doctor. You know, that's your opportunity to say like, hey, I'll go with you if you want. I'll sit in the waiting room and then we can go for lunch afterwards. You know, or we can you know, something along those lines. So that's your opportunity to really be there for that person. Because once you, you know, overcome it yourself. I don't let's just say like I love Spider Man. He always, you know, Uncle Ben said with great um power comes great responsibility and I strongly believe that. You know, but you know, like that's that's pretty much my story, Michael. I can't really think of anything else right now. Although please ask questions because I'm definitely open to them and I you know, anyone has any, I, I definitely am willing to respond to anything that you might have.
0: Well, thank you so much so far, Jim. I did have one question. I was hoping you could talk a little bit about, um, what it was like to grapple with your mental health and thoughts of suicide, um, in, in relation to your faith.
1: Oh, that's a, that's a very good question. Like, like for me, like I, We've had, unfortunately, in my family, we've had. Um, I've had a cousin who died by suicide. This was when when I was younger, but I think for me, one of the things was seeing how it affected my my grandmother, who's the one who who saw him. And I, I'll never forget her, and she's passed away now, thirteen years ago. And I'll just never forget what it sounded like for her now. now and that, that's one thing that I have to, like, I just remember, it's like, someone's going to have that voice. Someone's going to have that pain. Someone's going to, you know, and I can't do that. And, um, but I still remember like, it was just a big, a, a large, like just really was a constant prayer. Like every day, just to help me get through the day was just like, you know, I would do the Hail Mary, do the Our Father, I would do, you know, but it was, I still remember it like, you know, just please either make me better, God, or take me, I don't care which one you decide on. But that was really the big thing was just kind of giving my cares to God is really for me what it was. Like they oftentimes say, that's what you should do. And maybe I didn't realize I was doing it because I was so in, like, focused on myself. Because when you're in depression, at least for me, I couldn't process much of anything else. But I knew that the more I talk to God, at least in in my belief, the more he listens. And that's why I think I had that experience that I did, you know, and and at that point, I realized, like, you know, when I did have my my experience where I you know, saw the Holy Family again, I think that was almost like them telling me, like, we hear you. We hear you, man. Like, you're going to be all right. Like and that like that's really what it boils down to for me. And and, you know, even though I know not everyone shares the same belief I like I can still live the way that God would want me to live as far as hopefully creating that support for other people um, and just the way he was there for others, just trying to do the same thing. And that's why I look at like someone again, like Oscar Romero, who was, you know, he died for his beliefs um, and his beliefs were to to help those who were the financially and I mean like destitute, not even poor destitute. And and I kind of look at people like that who are more, I guess, human, for lack of a better word, because they were human, <laughs> but in their drive, and I kind of take that, and I, I want to be more like that person. And and trust me, I, I'm not a, like, I'm no way, shape, or form perfect. I mean, maybe maybe if it was up to my dogs, yeah, then they would think I am, but I'm no way. like So it's just a matter of trying to be better than I was yesterday. Now, I don't know if that answers your question, Michael, kind of, sort of, not really.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it's an answer I'll certainly take. Um, that was, I think that's, um, it's been a really great conversation so far, and I think it's good to wrap up here. So I guess I just want at this point to say thank you for being willing to come on here and share your, you know, silent journey and, uh, and talk about your past and be so vulnerable, uh, with not only me, but everyone that listens to this podcast. Um, I'm sure I can speak for everyone that listens. Um, thank you.
1: No, my, my pleasure, Michael. And, and, and for those of you out there who, you know, are listening, if you're like, I don't have anyone who cares about me. Well, guess what I do? Because I wouldn't be putting myself out here like this if I didn't. So keep that in mind. Like there are people out there, you may not even know that person, like, but feel free, you know, like, like, like I can easily provide social media to you or something like that. I don't know, if, you know, if you'd like, um, and I can't diagnose anyone. I'm not, I mean, I'm a doctor, but not that type of doctor. And, um, you know, I I can tell people how I felt. Like if someone is, is interested in um, saying like, hey, did you feel like this during your depression? I would be more than I'm, very open with that. I'm okay with answering that. Like I've had people who, who have asked me that same question who said, Hey, I'm, I feel like this, or my, my kid feels like this. Did you ever feel like that? And I'll tell them, Oh yeah, I totally did. Oh, that's, that's, I felt like that all the time. And then it kind of opens their eyes or their parents' eyes or their loved one's eyes to like, Oh, they're not telling me something that as far, you know, like something that might be out in left field that they're like, no, there's no way that that could be. It's like, no, this is, this is very real, you know? And I think that's important. And, and because of the stigma too, my have to say, like when I was on a, a podcast yesterday, we were talking about, there's this new thing called a PET scan that can actually measure the, uh, the brain activity that shows if a person's depressed or not depressed, which I think for people who don't believe in depression, for lack of a better word, um, it's showing quote-unquote proof of brain activity between both. So it's almost, I don't want to call it an x-ray, but it's, it's like a more intense CAT scan, for lack of a better word. So there's there's pretty cool um, techno- technological advances, there is our word, that are being made, which I think are going to help maybe eradicate the stigma little by little, as well as people such as yourself who are you know, opening your podcast to allowing people such as myself and others to, to speak out, you know, so I thank you for that.
0: Well, um, I guess, uh, thank you and, um, you're welcome. But, uh, to anyone that's listening, if you want to help amplify Jim's story, um, please, uh, share this with someone, you know, um, rate review, whatever it is that you, can think of to help spread this uh the show and 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 provide these stories to more people um i would truly and deeply appreciate it um thank you so much uh jim once again for being on the show and thank you for listening
1: yeah thank you folks for listening as well for having me on michael